0: Uh, I want to show you a picture of my family, just so you can get a sense of our crazy crew. So we have uh, three children. You know, so you know you take the family pictures, and I, was, I asked my wife, I'm like, What's, what picture should we show? And we know we got the one good picture. But she was like, that, does, that really doesn't communicate the chaos that we live in. So I think this one better captures where we're at. Uh, our, uh, so we have three kids. Uh, our youngest is Ivy, so it's our baby girl. That's in my wife's arms there. She is five months old. Uh, Then the middle son is uh, appropriately in the middle of the picture. That's Tate, and uh, he uh, would not sit on the couch, so we got this picture of him standing. And then our eldest, all the way on the side there, with a cell phone in his hand, uh, is Laker. Now, uh, his name is Laker, not because we're big basketball fans, but we're big Minnesota fans uh, for some reason. I know I love Minnesota. I'm originally from South Africa. So we came to the United States back in the uh, uh, mid 90s, and we came to Minneapolis, of all places. So Minneapolis has a, a near and dear place to my heart. My wife is from here. And uh, so we wanted to give our first son a name that would shout out his Minnesota roots. And so we chose the name Laker, obviously, because it's 10,000 lakes. And, uh, so, but people would always ask me, they're like, you must be a big basketball fan. And well, I like basketball, but and some of you may know this, like the Lakers started here in Minneapolis way back in the day, and then they moved to L.A., and that's why they're the Los Angeles Lakers, which makes no sense, because if you've been to L.A., there's not a ton of lakes, uh, but there are quite a few over here. We just got done, as as I'm sure many of you did as well, celebrating Christmas. And uh, with working at a church, uh, typically we do our Christmas Eve services, and then uh, my uh, our family will pack up the minivan. We got a minivan this year. Man, that was a tough choice, uh, but we we did it. And it, when you think about it, though, it's so much better, especially with three kids. So we packed up the minivan and we go to my wife's family, uh, her side of the family, we celebrate with them. And they have this tradition that's been going on for, they, they tell me, about 50 years. And the tradition is this, Santa makes an appearance. Now, I don't know how they coordinate the schedule, but uh, somebody gets a Santa suit. They have the suit, they've had the suit for ages. Santa comes and the kids, obviously this is for the kids, uh, but some adults participate in this as well, um, The Santa has gifts. And so every kid will get one gift on Christmas Eve, and then they open the rest of the gifts on Christmas Day. And so Santa will come in with his, with his tote full of stuff, and he'll sit down. And the way you receive your gift is you have to sit on Santa's lap and sing a song. Now, our eldest, Laker, um, for three years was not interested in doing any of this. And so as a dad, I'm just, you know, I'm praying. I'm hoping that he's going to find the courage in him to go and sit on Santa's lap and sing a song so that I can finally feel that moment like all these other parents have had of my son doing that. And this year, I think we prayed quite a bit. And he did it. So he, he, and he was very willing. So he jumped on Santa's lap and he sang Jingle Bells, which was a great tune. Well done, Laker. And, uh, and he gets his gift from Santa. And he's, he's hit the dinosaur phase. Okay, so he's four years old. He's hit the dino, dinosaur phase. And unsurprisingly, uh, what Santa brought him were dinosaurs. So he opens up the gift. And he, the, there's just smiles all around, right? So there's a smile on my face because I'm so proud of him for jumping into this thing and singing. And then he's elated that what he was hoping for is in his hands. And then, you know, it, it maybe takes 30 seconds for all that joy to dissipate. Um, his face, my own, because his cousins are very curious about the gift that Laker has. And he and you've probably seen kids, toddlers go into this. It's like defense mode, right? So his teeth kind of clench up a bit, and he kind of holds his gift really tightly. And, uh, and all of a sudden, I'm playing referee. I kind of had to break these kids apart because they're all interested in each other's gifts. And nothing can... Um, steal the joy from a four-year-old more than the five-letter word share. So he was not interested at all in sharing his gifts. Um, And my own joy even at that moment was slowly, you know, sinking away. So (laughs) the reason I tell you that story is, you know, we've been in a a season uh, as a church talking about this theme of joy. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. And it's all about, you know, when we think about all that's happening in this time of year, uh, most of us can't help but feel some joy. Good things are happening. Gifts are being given. But how many know that as sometimes as quickly as that joy can enter our lives, just like my son when he finally realized he may have to share, the joy that you feel can almost as quickly move away. I'll give you a couple examples, right? Um, The joy of a, a new baby. In your life Uh, it can be quickly met with the reality that now you have this life to steward and I remember us having our first kid and you know I'm always checking if the kids breathing you know you just have that anxiety of like is everything going to be okay and the joy that I had on that first day it's there but how many know that there's those moments where it kind of gets stolen away because of your own anxiety or how about this Uh, the joy of a promotion Maybe you received a new job in the last couple of weeks, months or years and uh, all of a sudden that new job probably is met with new stress and there's new things that you're going to have to take on and carry and the joy you initially felt when that news came can easily evaporate away. Or maybe you're a homeowner, you know, maybe you just bought your first house or you moved into another house and, and then the roof starts to leak or the furnace goes out. And all of a sudden, kind of the the happiness that you felt right away when you signed those papers and you closed in that house and you got those keys, you're met with the reality that, oh, this is an expensive purchase, not just the mortgage withstanding. So uh, all of us have probably felt that in some way, that joy can escape us. So it, it makes me wonder this, and maybe you've wondered the same thing. Can joy really last in our lives? Now, I'm also keenly aware of, aware of this, right? Like, these the seasons that we're in, this holiday season, Christmas, Thanksgiving, um, it, it's not always joyful for some of us. In, in fact, sometimes seasons like this expose, they bring to light um, the fact that it isn't all that grand. And it may expose loneliness, or it may ex- expose this sense that you just can't keep up with the Joneses. You see everyone's posts on social media about their best Christmas ever, and for you, it can be a time where it's anything but the best. And the question you might be asking isn't necessarily, will the joy last? You're wondering, is there any joy left for me? You know, I, if, if I'm honest, I've felt that. I just have. You know, I, when I think of uh, my life, you know, our, our, like I said, my family immigrated to the United States in the mid 90s, and really we came with the pursuit of this thing called the American dream. And when I, you look at that picture of my family and it's like, I feel like I'm living it in so many ways. But how many know I can steal my own joy even in the midst of all those good things? And life hasn't always been easy or grand for me. The same is for sure true for you. And the same is true for the people we read about in scripture, in the Bible. And I I think that's the the most amazing part about what God has given us in his word is that there's relatability to it that um, is incredible. The the, the struggles and the joys and the frustrations, the whole human experience that you and I live day in and day out, the people of our ancient world felt and lived the same way. They wondered things like this. And maybe you're asking yourself a similar question. Uh, How do I keep my joy beyond just the Christmas season? Maybe you're asking the question, how do I overcome some of the obstacles that can easily steal my joy? Or how do I stay grateful no matter what comes my way? And what I love about what we get to engage with as followers of Jesus is that in God's word, he has a response. And I believe he does. For for those questions that I just threw out there, some of you may resonate with them more than others, but I think God has a response for it. Can we keep our joy? which is going to lead us to our text for this morning. So if you have your Bibles, whether in electronic form, on your cell phone, or if you have a physical Bible that you brought, you can turn with me to the book of Philippians. Now, uh, a, a book, uh, book I don't think is maybe the best way to describe what's happening. Uh, I think letter is a really, really good way to describe Philippians. Uh, You know, there's 66 books in the Bible, and it ranges from all different kinds of things, from poetry to narrative. And one of the key parts of our New Testament uh, are letters, correspondence, if you will, from uh, leaders to communities of people that are working through what it means to be a follower of Jesus in their own time and space. And the amazing thing is that many of the encouragements that they give them have some pretty wild applications to the same lives that you and I live today. And so Philippians was, uh, is, is, a, is named because it's being written to a church or a group of people that are in the city of Philippi. So it's a European city right on the other side of Greece, and it's written by a guy named Paul. And if you don't know uh, much about Paul, Paul was kind of this iconic hero of the first century church. He was a, a church planter. He was a missionary. He was someone that was adventurous in every way, shape, or form. And he would go city to city and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And by God's grace and faithfulness, people would respond. And because of their responses, groups of people would gather together, normally in homes, in house churches, and begin to, to discern what it meant to follow Jesus in their time and in their community. And so Paul um, has a great affectionate love for the people of Philippi because they've been partners with him in his mission to share the gospel really since, the, since day one. And what the Philippians hear is that Paul has, is in trouble. Uh, he's in prison. In other words, when we read Philippians, Paul calls out specifically, specifically that he's writing this letter from a jail cell. And what would happen in the ancient world is if you were imprisoned for anything, uh, your sustenance, if you got sick, if you needed food, if you needed a friend, it wasn't provided by the institution. It was ultimately provided by your friends and family. And so if you, if you had an ailment of some sort, it was incumbent upon people in your community to actually travel to the prison or the place you were held in order to offer you some sort of care or support. And so Paul's friends in Philippi, the church that he helped start, they ca- catch wind of the fact that he's in trouble. He's in prison. And so they gather a group of people together and they make the trek to where he's at. And they brought some financial support for him because they knew because he was in prison, he needed some help. And then how many know this? When you bring an entourage of people from one place to another, they bring more than just what's in their pockets or what's in their bags. They bring a message. They are going to tell us some stories. They're going to try to catch Paul up on what's been happening in a a church that he just had a real heart for. And so this entourage comes to Paul. They visit him in this prison, and, and they share some news with Paul that he probably wasn't expecting to hear. And the news was this. Um, things aren't looking so great in Philippi. Uh, people are kind of fighting with one another, and, and I feel like this thing may rip apart at the seams. And so what Paul does is he can't go to them and give them an encouragement, but he can write to them. Happened all the time in the ancient world. And so as the entourage was leaving the prison to go back to the church, he said, hey, take this letter with you. And I want to encourage my friends in their time of need. And so Paul wants to lift the spirits of, these, of this group of people that he has a great love for. And at the close of his letter, he also thanks them for how much they've supported him and cared for them. And he says some some of the most famous words in all the Bible. And so if you want to follow along with me, we're in Philippians chapter 4. We're going to read verses 10 through 13. Paul writes, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you didn't have much opportunity to show it. And I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content." whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Did you, um, did you catch something there? I put a little bit of emphasis on it, so hopefully you caught it. It's my favorite part. Paul says he's learned a secret. He's learned the secret of keeping his joy, his gratefulness, his contentment, no matter what life throws at him. In his plenty, in his imprisonment, he's learned a secret. Now, what's really interesting is Paul's choice of words here. He could, he has a number of words he could have used for learn, but he uses one that is all about learning from experience. In other words, how he learned the secret, it didn't come from a lecture or like an ancient podcast or a book. You know, he learned the secret the hard way. He learned it by actually living, sustaining through, persevering in the hard times and the great times, which ultimately means this. I think it means that you and I can learn the secret too. Because like Paul, all of us have experienced, let's call it the good, the bad, and the ugly of life. So what's the secret? Verse 13, I can do all this through him or in him who gives me strength. So if you want to keep your joy, if you want to find joy, the secret is that it's found in Jesus. Now I know that seems almost too easy. But God's response to whether or not we can keep our joy, gratefulness, and contentment, no matter if it's Christmas or Thanksgiving or some random Tuesday in February where it's way too cold out and spring doesn't look like it's anywhere near in sight, his response, no matter if it's our best day or our worst day, is, yeah, you can have joy. You can keep your joy. You can stay content. And the secret in doing so is that Sunday school answer. Jesus. Jesus. I can do all this in Christ who gives me strength. So what does it mean to be in Christ? Uh, Before my wife and I were married, we um, decided to run our first and only 5K together. Now, I wasn't a fan of running back then, and it's growing on me a little bit, but I'm still not that big of a fan today. But my wife, she is an avid runner. And so, you know, as, as we're dating, my whole strategy was as much time as I can spend with her, that's probably a good thing, which meant that I had to do some of the things that she liked to do, and unfortunately for me, that meant running. So she signed us up for a 5K, and, and obviously to do our due diligence, we did some training. And um, here's what became distinctly evident for me as we were training, is that uh, she was going to beat me pretty badly. (laughs) She just was. And, uh, I I mean, I'd start out pretty good. And after the first mile, though, uh, things would would turn ugly pretty quickly. And, uh, you know, I'm huffing and puffing and trying to catch my breath. And, and, And then here's the frustrating thing about my wife. She's a conversational runner. Okay? So which means that she can actually run and talk at the same time, which I cannot do. Uh, one, I'm breathing too heavily to be able to like, put words together. And two, like, I'm just self-talking. You know? like, my, my conversation's happening in my head that I can do this, that I can make this, that the pain's going to go away at some point. Um, and so our, our training was uh, tense to say the least, okay, where I'm silent during the whole time, she's trying to talk, and she's upset that I'm not talking to her, but we're, we got through the training, and so the race day comes, and I'm getting ready, and the, the gun goes off, or some sort of loud noise, I'm sure it was an actual gun, and we start running, and I'm actually doing pretty good, honestly, so mile one comes around, and, and, and my wife and I, like, we're running side by side, and, and in the training, that was not the case. So I'm, I'm feeling really good. I'm feeling really confident, and then we're approaching mile two, and I'm still feeling like normally by this time, I would have been out of gas and really trailing behind, but mile two is coming, and things are looking decent, and then, and then it does happen. Uh, I run out of gas really quickly and I'm ready to just kind of, you know, walk it out almost. And she's, want, she's wanting to hit her stride. She's hit her stride. She wants to finish strong. And so she gives it her best, and I do too, kind of. Um, and my prediction was right. She beat me really, really easily. Now, I, t- I tell you that story because um, here's what I want you to catch. Here's what I learned, to borrow some language from Paul. Um, From being signed up, to training, to running, to actually finishing, what I learned is that I couldn't have done any of that without her. But here's the thing. Um, She didn't take my hand and drag me across the finish line. Um, She didn't carry me on her back and run across. She didn't come from behind me and push me until I got to the edge. She didn't do any of that. Yet I still couldn't have done it without her. Here's what she did do. Um, She encouraged me to keep going. She inspired me to reach the finish line. She showed me the way to be a runner, albeit a begrudging one. But uh, all in all, here, here is my role in that whole experience. It was simply to follow her lead. And I think that that gives you, I think it gives us a picture of what it means to be in Christ. The secret to finding and keeping your joy is to follow His lead. It's to participate in the life of Jesus. I mean, when you think about as Christians, kind of one of the first things that we invite people to do as they become followers of Christ is to do this thing called baptism. And it is a participation in the life of Jesus. The old life is gone as you go into the water. The new life has come as you... um, are, are lifted up out of it. It's, it's a participation in what God is doing. And so in, it, that's the whole deal for us as Christians is that we're about following Jesus. And, and that, in a nutshell, was Paul's encouragement to his friends in Philippi. He says, I'm hearing that things aren't exactly too great between everyone. It feels like you're losing the joy of your salvation. Well, here's my prescription. Here's, here's what I think you should do. Keep following Jesus. In fact, here's what Paul says earlier in his letter. This is in chapter 2. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus, who, is, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Nothing. By taking the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. Said another way, if you want to keep your joy, Paul's saying you can't do it on your own. It can't happen entirely in your own strength. God is going to have to work in you. You can do this in Christ who gives you strength. The picture that I have in my mind is that keeping our joy as Christians is realizing that when we participate in the life of Jesus, we have a secret weapon. We can thwart attempts that steal our joy when we live the life of Jesus because how many know when we pray for our enemies, it's hard to lose our joy because those kinds of prayers, they almost recalibrate our souls. Or when we care for those less fortunate than us, it's hard to lose our gratitude because we come face-to-face with our own blessings. Or how about this, when we forgive others, How many know it's hard to lose our own sense of grace? The secret to keeping the joy in our lives, it's realizing that living the life of Jesus exposes how much we really have. I mean, think about this. In Jesus, we have a Savior, a wonderful counselor, an everlasting God. And so when my kids get my blood boiling because they can't get along, it only takes a moment for me to recalibrate and realize, oh my. I have friends who have been praying for years for one child. Or they've had their fair share of miscarriages, and here I am with three. Or when I complain about the cost of heat, and my wife and I debate about what temperature the thermostat should be set at, uh, it dawns on me, I live in South Minneapolis, a couple blocks away from me are people on the streets who would love to have the debate about what the thermostat should be set at. Oftentimes, and this may be true of you too, I steal my own joy with my own worries and frustrations. And even if it's not my own doing and the diagnosis comes or the pink slip lands on the desk or the tragedy hits, as Christians, we're called to hold tight to our joy because we have Jesus and we can do this in him. You can keep your joy, your gratefulness, your contentment, not just for this season, but for a lifetime. And like Paul, you can encourage others in their moments of wondering. Wondering, will it last? Wondering, will I have it? Because as we live the life of Jesus together, church, we show the world a better way. We show the world that joy doesn't have to evaporate the moment the hard times hit. I I just want to clarify one thing before we close. And I'm not proposing that we as Christians put on artificial joy. And suggest that everything looks perfect in our lives. In fact, we weaken our witness if we simply think that we should always be happy. That we should bury our hurts and frustrations and our wounds. As Christians, we're going to have bad days because that's just the world we've been thrown into. And my prayer is that you can face those days as rawly as you'd like. Because God can handle it. But because we're in Christ, we can rise above in ways that will seriously baffle the world. We can actually bring joy when others, thinks, when others think it might be impossible. I'll close with this story. On, um, on September 6th, 2018, an off-duty police officer shot and killed who she thought was an intruder in her apartment. Unfortunately, she killed an innocent man because after a long 13-hour shift and then an emotionally draining conversation with a significant other, she entered the wrong apartment. That off-duty police officer's name is Amber Geiger, a white woman, and the person she shot and killed was a young black man named Botham Jean. Uh, The incident, unsurprisingly, stoked the flames of the ongoing conversation in our country about race. And Geiger was eventually on trial for murder and found guilty with a 10-year sentence in view. On October 2nd of this year, at her sentencing hearing, um, one of the most touching moments I've ever witnessed happen. And if you've seen the viral video, you probably know what I'm talking about. But Botham's younger brother, Brandt, takes the stand. And he uses all about four minutes of the time that he had to speak life over Amber. Told her uh, that he forgave her. Told her that he loved her. Told her that he just wanted the best for her. And then he asked the judge if he can give her a hug. And the judge, with tears in her eyes, says, sure. And they embrace as the nation watches. His moment, uh, if you've seen it, it's, you're going to cry. Um, I encourage you to go, like, go on Google and just type in um, forgiveness, um, bottom gene, and you'll, you'll see it. It's one of the most viral videos of the year. His moment gripped the country. And it was only possible by his own words because of Jesus. He used his secret weapon. He rose above. He followed in the way of Christ who gave him an incredible strength to forgive the person who took his brother's life. And the world was in awe. That's our calling as Christians, to rise above, to keep our joy, to change the world. And so if you want to keep your joy beyond just the season, here's a simple invitation from Paul. To Philippi, that's the same invitation for us. Follow Jesus. Live as he lived, caring for the downtrodden, lifting up the brokenhearted, proclaiming the good news, praying for the Lord's favor to rest on all, forgiving others radically. And as we do that, no matter what comes our way, joy is here to stay. We can do all this in him who gives us strength. Let's pray. Jesus, we... Uh, we're inspired, God, that the power that you give us can rise above anything this world can throw at us. God, I pray that, as, uh, that our call as followers of Jesus would be that, that we would be able to almost baffle the world by the fact that we can keep our joy no matter what happens. God, I pray a blessing for every person that's here. God, is that they enter into a new year with all the blessings from before, that they'd hold tight to the joy that you've given them, that they'd rise above, that they'd keep their joy, that they'd change the world. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, Amen. 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 As we uh, close out the service, I just want to give an opportunity. If there's someone here that's maybe never given their life to Jesus, never said yes to inviting the grace of God into their lives, I just want to provide a quick moment for you. And uh, I-, I want to illustrate it this way. So remember back to that 5K that I ran, which is, uh, again, uh, not the greatest experience for me. But here's what happened. A couple days after the race, I get a phone call from the race organizer. And he says, congratulations, Mr. Reddy. And I said, thank you. Um, what, did, what happened? And he's like, well, uh, you placed second in your age group, and so we have a medal for you that you can come pick up. And I'm like, what? Yeah. And so, you know, they have all the race results online, and so I like, is he serious? Like, maybe he's got the wrong number. So I look it up, and there it is, men ages 20 to 29, and you know, first place person, and then there's me, number two. Now, the funny part is that there were only two men, ages 28 to 29, that were racing that day. Um, So, on a technicality, I won a medal. My time was not medal worthy. And can I tell you something? That's the gospel, right? We can't run fast enough to win the medal of salvation. It's only in Jesus that we receive it. It's the race he ran for us, and we who call ourselves his followers reap the prize of a full and eternal life. And so that's that's what we invite people to consider in moments like these as we close the service is that the realization is we can't do that on our own. We need the strength of Jesus. We need to place our faith, our hope, our trust in him. And if you've never done that before, then today's your day. And I just want to provide an opportunity like we always do for someone to say yes to Jesus. Um, I'm going to invite us just to bow our heads and close our eyes. The only reason I ask us to do that is so that no one feels compulsion in order to make a decision. Um, so it's just a decision between you and God. But I will ask you to do this. If that's a decision you want to make today, could you just raise your hand for me in just a moment? And all you're doing there is signaling that you want to be included in a closing prayer as we end out this service. So right now, if if you want to say yes to that prize, that medal of eternal life with God because of what Jesus did, the race he ran for you. Um, I'm going to end in a prayer. And if you want to be included in that prayer, can you just lift your hand right now? And I'll ensure that I include you in that prayer. Yes. 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 Awesome. Let's do this. Uh, Can we just pray this together as a sign of encouragement to all those that are saying yes to Jesus? Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. But I pledge to live for you. Thank you for your grace and thank you for your strength. From this day forward, I promise to live for you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Can we stand all across this place and we can give a hand clap for all those that are saying yes to Jesus. As a church, uh, our heart is to to resource you, to help you take some next steps. So we'll have some prayer teams that'll join me up at the sides of the stage here. You're welcome to talk to them. We also have a Now What book. Uh, This is just a resource we have for people that are following Jesus for the first time or the first time in a long time. You can pick pick that up at the welcome desk or from our ushers as you leave the stage there. And um, our heart for you as you enter into 2020 is that it'll be your best year yet. I encourage you to join with us as a church as we fast and pray to uh, begin January. So grab one of those 21 days booklets as you leave. And um, thank you for spending part of your Sunday with us here at River Valley Church. Have a great week serving the Lord.